Welcome to Rocket Talk, the Tor.com podcast. My name is Justin Landon, and we are joined today by the co-executive producers of Voltron Legendary Defender. Lauren Montgomery is a director and storyboard artist. She directed the Wonder Woman animated film and several other DC properties. She did work on Avatar The Last Airbender for Nickelodeon and returned there to work on Legend of Korra. She is now an executive producer and co-showrunner on Netflix's Voltron Legendary Defender with Joaquim Dos Santos, who is our other guest. Uh, Joaquim has directed episodes of Justice League Unlimited, Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra. He's also done a number of DC properties as well. He is now, as we mentioned before, the co-showrunner for Voltron Legendary Defender. Welcome to you both. Thank you. So much. Uh, Before we jump into talking about the new show, uh, I need some help from both of you. I was raised in the L.A. area, but these uh, Hollywood job titles are mystifying me. (laughs) As I was doing... uh, some research for the for this show. I'm like producer, showrunner. So which one is better? I'm so confused. Yeah, it's strange. Like uh, the the show titles will change even from studio to studio, and even and from like between feature and television, it's all across the board. Uh, showrunner, I feel like is maybe a little clearer in uh, in what our actual duties are. Uh, a lot of times, if you say executive producer, co-executive producer, people don't really know what that means. They think maybe you're like a money person, but we we definitely are showrunners. Yeah, and and showrunners, I think, just means you know we we, we oversee every aspect of production on this show. Uh, so you know, while we both had our starts in storyboarding and directing animation, now we oversee everything from pre to post production. You know, we even have our hands in in a lot of the the meetings that go on that are sort of on the periphery, like marketing meetings and, and, you know, that sort of game planning beyond the, the scope of the show. But you're still in writing meetings and directing meetings? Absolutely. All of them. Yeah, extremely heavily involved with every aspect of the creation of the show uh, and the, the creative direction that, that we take. So we're constantly meeting with our episode directors, uh, you know, our, our design supervisors. Everything kind of goes through, passes through our eyes for approval. Yeah, the writers, I mean, yeah, there's kind of like not a not a part of the show that, that we don't oversee. So I think uh, the way you describe it, it sounds a little autocratic with showrunners really being in charge of everything, but how did the two of you split that up? We like to use ourselves, I think, as, a, as kind of like the checks and balances. Um, there are certain things that all feel strongly about and certain things that like I maybe don't feel strongly about that Joaquin will. And so, and, and there will be times where I will have like a feeling about something or a note that I'll I'll run by Joaquim and see like do you do you feel the same and if he's like no I don't feel the same then it's just like a personal thing but if we both feel the same on something then we know that there's probably something wrong or maybe it's not right for the show but I mean we just kind of like that idea of having having a backup having someone else to either corroborate or or give us you know the other side of the opinion on on the direction of the show because um, you know we worked with uh, Mike and Brian who had a similar situation where they were uh, co-showrunners, and it's it's a lot to handle running a whole show yourself, and and sometimes we do actually have to split up duties, but we do like to make sure that we're both involved and we both have signed off on everything. Uh, but yeah, it's it's good to kind of have that that second person, that second opinion, uh, so you don't get too kind of wrapped up in your own personal issues. Yeah, I mean, I think Mike, like Lauren said, Mike and Brian were, you know. A big part of our lives creatively and, and, and through our career and, and seeing how they really bounced ideas off of each other. And, you know, when times got tough in terms of the schedule getting really densely packed, they were able to split their duties and, you know, somebody run to this meeting while the other one runs that meeting, but still being able to communicate between each other to make sure that 
you know, everything was, everything was on the up and up. And, and as far as, you know, the overall tone of the show and, and the overall vibe of the show, you know, it was, it was that, that series of checks and balances that I think made uh, Avatar and, and Legend of Korra before it so successful. So using them as a template, you know, we, we, we saw that it was working really well between them and we continued that. So uh, I guess then based on that collaboration, Voltron as an intellectual property had to be something that appealed deeply to you both. So what brought you to Voltron? Why, why Voltron? We both, I mean, you know, uh, to, to different extents, you know, I grew up directly with the show. Um, I was, I was, you know, right at the certain age, right at the, 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 the prime market target boys action adventure for, for when that show came out, I had the toy played it on the schoolyard. So I, I grew up with it very, very much in my childhood and Lauren did so as well to a, to a, you know, to a different extent. I'll, I'll let her explain that. But, you know, for me, it was, it was nostalgia through and through. Voltron was just a pillar of my childhood. Yeah, very much. Like there's so much nostalgia that comes with the property. Uh, it, it's a part of so many people's childhoods and it was definitely a part of my childhood, not in the same way uh, as Joaquin. I think I'm just a few years younger, so it's much harder for me to actually remember the the intricacies of the show. But I would see that Voltron robot, and I would I knew that robot, and I, I knew I enjoyed it. And so it was something I kind of had to reacquaint myself with um, as I got older, and like I could seek it out on like someone's old VHS or catch a glimpse of it in a rerun on TV. But um, the thing that excited me the most, other than the fact that it was a beloved property, was the fact that you know, it's it's a it's ultimately something that was a product of its time, being that it was created from two completely different shows that were put together. There were a lot of elements that were kind of chopped out for the safety's sake and censorship in America, um, ultimately resulting in a story that that it was what it was because it had to be. And in that, I saw something that had it held a lot of room for improvement. There was, there, but there were some really incredible core elements in this show that I felt were really strong and would be really fun to work with. But we could, I felt like we could really do something with it and elevate it to a whole nother level. And that's really what I mean, got me excited about it. Yeah, I mean, like genuinely, you know, before we even knew we were up for the for the position or we had any meetings with DreamWorks, when we heard that DreamWorks had bought Classic Media Library and had bought Voltron. Lauren and I, we were still on Cora and we would go to lunch and talk about the possibilities of what could be done with the property because it was so nostalgic and so memorable and had these key pillars that you gravitated towards as kids. But all the stuff in between was kind of hard to recall. I, I, I couldn't really tell you besides Voltron, you know, forming and becoming, you know, uh, an amazing robot and being made of, of these lions. I knew they fought bad guys. I, I didn't really know what the core story was. It just wasn't fully formed. It wasn't. And, and I think that, you know, as Lauren said, it was a product of the show being jammed together and, 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 and re-edited and localized for, for us audiences. So it, there was enough for you to have these feelings for it, but not enough for you to really be able to remember exactly what the core story was so that there was just so much room to, to add to the mythology and, and, and build it out and make it bigger. I have, I have two follow-ups to that. I'll ask one and then you guys can answer and I'll ask the other one. But the first one that comes to mind is you're, you're rebooting a property. And I think you touched on this a little bit already, but you're rebooting a property for which millions of people have super fond feelings. 
but have really no substantial memory of. I mean, I'm I'm sort of the right age too. I'm I'm 35, so yeah. I was pretty young when it first came out, but um I remember it, but I could not I couldn't tell you the name of any of the characters. I mean, all I knew was the cool robots, right? So how do you reboot a property? I mean, how do you are you nervous about that fan expectation about there that it's all nostalgia? I mean, I think what you said was it. I mean, I think everybody remembers Voltron and they remember the feelings they had for it, but they don't remember what it was about. So I mean, there's that fear, there's that trepidation of like, will we ever live up to, you know, the, the fondness that, that a, a child's memory has for it? And I think for us, you know, it was, it was about us having those feelings as well for it. So trusting our gut that we would do right by all those, those pillars that you remember as, as, as a child, we, you know, we, we pay homage to all that stuff and we definitely make sure that all those things are recognizable, but all those stuff in between, that's, it's a little bit more blurry and a little bit harder to recall. That's the stuff where we really felt like we could dig in and, and, and make it more than it was. So it was, there's a nervousness there because you want to, you want to make a good show. But, uh, I think we trusted our gut enough to know, you know, Hey, we're genuine fans from it when we were growing up. So we want to make the show, that we would want to see as, as, as fans. Then to you, Lauren, um, you mentioned a little bit that the version that came to America was heavily edited. Uh, all kinds of concessions were made to bring it to market here. So I guess then that the, the two of you have looked beyond Voltron here and gone back to the original source material of Go Lion. Is that correct? I mean, have you gone back and tried to dig into those? Absolutely. Uh, I watched the whole, the whole run of the series. Um, just in preparation for this, uh, because you know we knew we knew what Voltron was, uh, but what we hadn't done yet was watch the original and see where it came from. And in doing so, I'm I'm really glad we did because there were, although there were some things that are obviously much too dark for us to ever be able to put in a show for America, um, there was a lot of stuff in it that we felt kind of got lost in translation in Voltron, and a lot of it was just like the the stakes and the drama. And the the feeling of there being something real, like real consequences, and and a villain to fear. Unfortunately, Zarkon kind of ended up being more of a, a laughable character than a really frightening character in in the Voltron series. He was you know constantly very easily thwarted, um, and you know obviously Voltron won every episode. But the the Go Lion Zarkon was a what a much more intimidating character. And so things like that, where we really want this this world to feel like like there's something at stake, and and if if they let this dangerous villain get a hold of them, you know they might not come out alive. Yeah, and and you know it's funny too, just to add to it a little bit. You watch Go Lion, and it, it just felt more cohesive. It felt like a a real story. Uh, and 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 again, it's just because. And by the way. A, a tough, almost, you know, uh, insurmountable task to, to, to take two different shows and edit them together and have it be as amazing as it was in the eighties. I mean, they did, they did a, a great job with, with what they had to do. And, and we, as, as we sort of investigated further, they didn't even, they didn't even know what was being said. There was no translation. They were just getting raw footage in Japanese and making something of it. Amazing. Um, but you watch Go Line and, and with adult eyes, you know, you just see, oh, this, this is a story that's cohesive. It makes sense. Uh, it feels much, much more solid. 
So in in looking at the, I've seen the the first episode, which comes out um, on the tenth, I believe, uh, and you've made some choices that are uh, with the characters that are slightly different than is in the original version. Most notably that uh, Keith does not appear to be the leader at this point in the story. Was that a choice that you all made independent of any other source material? Is that just a storytelling device that you guys decided to go to? You know, it's a, it's a little bit of two things. One, uh, the first thing was that, you know, when as we're going back and we're watching the original Voltron and the original Go Lion, we had, you know, this issue of there's, there's three characters here. There's Keith, there's Sven, and there's Lance. And they're all kind of feeling the same, like, cool guy role. They, they could all kind of sub in for the leader if they really needed to. They, they just fill that space. And we needed to really differentiate our characters a lot more. Um, and when we really look at, like, what are the actions that they took, like, Keith, unfortunately, ended up kind of being just this really bland personality guy because he was always just, the, he did the leader thing all the time. Uh, Lance he was the hero. Guy. He was, yeah, he was, just, he was, he was like, generic hero, hero guy. Um, but when it, we looked at, at Sven, Sven was do, actually doing, like, the, the more you know, sacrificial move. Like, he basically sacrificed his life to save Lance. And to us, that, that action spoke so much more than any other actions from any of the other characters. And, and that we, so in taking that and wanting to kind of differentiate these characters up, we ended up, you know, kind of moving their positions on the team around a little bit. And then the other part is just my own selfish need to make, like, lions and colors match. And as a child, I always associated Keith as the red guy more than I associated Keith as, like, being in the black lion. That was just how my brain kind of reacted. Anytime I would see the comic adaptation or, or the later animated series where they would put Keith in a black outfit, he didn't look like Keith to me. Like, I didn't even register that that was Keith. It was a, it was a strange kind of brain trip. He was the red guy. And so, it, for me, it was just an easier thing that, that made me feel more comfortable to put him in the red lion, keep him in his red theme, uh, et cetera. And that kind of spread out to Lance and the Shiro character. But, you know, beyond that, we also wanted to create a show where our characters evolved throughout the course of, of not only the season, but the series uh, moving forward. So, you know, where characters start off in the episodes that you watch, that's, that's not where they end up even at the end of the season. You know, they, they evolve throughout. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't want to make each one of these characters the perfect hero right off the bat. We wanted to give them some not some faults, but some character personalities and character traits. And maybe, maybe some of them are, are character faults that, that they have to learn to overcome uh, and, and grow into the heroes that, that we know they can be. Obviously, both of your Nickelodeon shows that you, that you worked on were like very diverse casts. You had women featured in very uh, prominent roles in the series. And in this series, your, your, your five primary characters are, are all men. And other than the princess... You know, there are no women characters present, as far as I can tell, in the opening episode. And so I, I wondered if you had put any thought into gender flipping any of the main uh, paladins. This is basically the, the first three episodes you've seen. It's the starting point for our show. So it's not, it's not the ending point. It's not um, this is exactly what it is for all, you know, all of the season to come. It's, it's the first episode. So they're going to get out in, their, in the world and they're going to 
meet a lot more characters, and there's definitely going to be a ton of female involvement. I think a lot of people, they see that Allura is not immediately part of the, the, the lion team. She's not in that blue lion. And to, to which my only real reply can be that that isn't what makes her an important character. She has so much in this in our story arc that makes her so much more important than just being a pilot. And in fact, in some cases, possibly putting her in that lion uh, might have diminished her role in some way. Uh, but she, she's got such an intense connection to the, the uh, history and the, the creation of Voltron that she knows more than any of our other characters what's at stake. And, and really, she shoulders that burden. And she's in no way, shape, or form like a background character. And, and we, we would never try to treat any female characters that way. You know, we, I guess just, just look at, at the shows that we've come from and, and trust that we're going we're gonna to do more with it than what might be immediately viewable. Wait to pass judgment till you watch, till you watch the episode. Because if, if, if there's been one thing that we've noticed has, has come back, that's been any sort of negative criticism, it's that. And we're very much not, we're not those people. Just from a storytelling perspective, you guys get into the lions really quick, which obviously like everybody wants to see the, the big fucking lions, but, um, yeah. so that makes sense why you moved it so quickly. But, you know, just from a storytelling perspective, do you guys plan to do flashbacks, backstory to sort of fill in the blanks on why these five were chosen? Uh, I was just going to say it's tough. Cause you know, you, you kind of want to get that origin story for our guys out relatively early in terms of getting them in the lions and getting them out on, on the adventure. So that everybody who might not be familiar with the original show kind of knows, all right, this is what it's about. It's about these guys and lions on this, you know, this big space adventure. Um, so it, it was, it was a tough, it was a tough sort of line to ride in terms of how long do we take uh, getting everybody in their lines and getting them on the adventure. Um, but, you know, we tried to, we tried to play it out over, over the course of what, what adds up to like three episodes worth of content. Um, I think, you know, the, the tough thing is, is moving forward. How much do you delve into the backstory of Voltron? And I think we just decided pretty early on, you know, we're, we're going to go full Monty. I mean, by, you know, we're going to explore all territories of, of Voltron's origin and, and just Allura alone, having been in cryogenic sleep for 10,000 years, she is a wealth of knowledge that's going to fill in so much of that backstory as the series progresses. So, you know, while you might not get why each of our individual characters were picked or plucked from Earth, you'll get the idea of why, you know, what makes up these characters, why they were, why they were uh, you know, chosen or why the, the Lions allowed them to be, to be their pilots. Um, but we'll, we'll delve into the, to the backstory pretty, pretty heavily on, on Voltron. Like he said, we may not have the uh, the time to really like go into exactly why each paladin was chosen, but I think it becomes apparent like what what links certain lines to certain paladins uh, just just in watching the show and seeing the uh, the characters' personalities and and seeing how they work as a team. Um, one one of the biggest things I think with our lines is that it's not necessarily a a one person in the entire universe type scenario. It's it's not like the lion is just like there's one chosen person that's the only person that can be in the lion. The lion will allow someone who's worthy 
to pilot it. And so it's really a, more about what does each line see in, in each of these characters. Yeah, that kind of, I think that kind of a reveal is what will, you'll, you'll sort of be able to do like a usual suspects and go like, oh, now I get why the yellow lion chose hunk or now I get why the, you know what I mean? You, that, that will be revealed as, as the course of the series goes on rather than why, you know, rather than telling that, that narrative from, from the pilot's perspective, you kind of see it from a, a much bigger, on a much bigger scope. Cool. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, put me down for, for hunk. I'm a big hunk fan. I'm, He's he's my bro now. Awesome. Awesome. He's he's yeah. got some he's got an, some awesome storylines pretty early on too. Uh, so how has been working with Netflix different than you know I guess a traditional studio? I guess they are a traditional studio now, but how's it been different than working with Nickelodeon or anywhere else? Has it been no different or it's been uh, hugely say, different? Yeah the 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 largest difference just in in the format is that obviously Netflix is. Uh, an internet-based company where they tend to release their their series in in seasons versus episodic week to week with commercials in between. Uh, that that being the case, it's allowed us to really change up how we tell the stories. We can do a much more in-depth, serialized from episode to episode type of story, which is something that both Joaquin and I really enjoy and and really get excited by. Um, Normally in a network scenario, having something air on television, it's, it's very important to the studio to have it be able to rerun well. And when you have something that's extremely serialized, they don't always rerun well because you know, it could be on any time, any place, in any order, and people don't really know where they are in the series and it gets very confusing. But with Netflix, it's always available to you at any time uh, and you can watch it in order from the start, you you know you don't have to worry about getting confused or missing an episode. It's there, so we can tell these really incredible stories in order, and and that is really the greatest thing about working with Netflix. Yeah, and I think for the longest time, working on the shows that we worked on, it's almost like we'd have to trick the network into accepting a serialized story without them like fully giving over to it. Uh, and I, I think over the time that we worked on those shows, we realized that those are really the stories that we want to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the things that we really gravitate towards. So now just being, being given, you know, basically full, full access to, to do that. It's been super liberating. Uh, and, and it's, it's allowed us to do, you know, pepper in story arcs pretty early on that it will pay off in big ways as, as the season progresses. And so we have a 10-episode first season. Has there been any movement on a second season, or is that a uh, we'll, we'll, we'll address it after the episodes come out? Things are moving, but I mean, I think as far, far as like a official addressing of that, I think that's, that's once the season one comes out and, you know, does its thing that I think. But, you know, we're moving. We're moving, baby. Well, I appreciate you all taking the time. We'll let you get back to work on on uh, what is, uh, I think, a a great-looking series. I've only seen the pilot, but I I enjoyed it greatly and look forward to watching the rest. Um, Made my my son and daughter sit down and watch it with me, uh, the pilot. So we're going to try try to get them to sit with me again. It's hard to get them to watch as a group. They all like to watch things by themselves on their, like, little (laughs) devices. But uh, we're going to try to do some some group viewing. I get it. We'll take it anyway. Any way you want to. Yeah, seriously. I mean, that's... 
that's the other crazy thing about this format is that it just allows, you know, if people want to watch for five minutes and then go do another thing and pick up right where they left off, it's, it's such a crazy different time than when you, you know, you had to sit in front of the TV at a specific time at a specific date and then wait for the next week. It's, but we do appreciate that you want to watch it as a family. We think that's awesome. You know, the, whatever I can do to spend some time with my children when they, uh, you know, they, they actually like me right now. In a few years, they won't. So I got I to gotta take advantage while I can. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, awesome. Lauren and Joaquin, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. This has been we great. do as well. All right. This has been Rocket Talk.